taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. On this episode, Inside Music Cast welcomes Kenny Loggins. Welcome to Inside Music Cast, the podcast that sheds new light on the world of music. That means that we peel back the obvious and let you see music from the inside out. I'm Eddie Cabello. And I'm Rick Such. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Inside Music Cast. As Eddie mentioned, Inside Music Cast will take you inside the mind of the musician and allow you to get a special, up-close glimpse of the music-making process. So if you're a fan or even a musician, this is where you want to be. That's right. This is the podcast that takes you beyond the stage and into the studio and features the people that make music happen. So if you're ready, let's get started. As one of the most recognizable voices in music, singer-songwriter Kenny Loggins is a legend when it comes to producing hit singles, not only as a solo artist, but also as part of the 70s singing duo Loggins and Messina. You've heard his songwriting handiworks, Celebrate Me Home, This Is It, I'm Alright, Footloose, and Danger Zone. You've also heard his collaborations, What a Fool Believes with Michael McDonald, and Whenever I Call You Friend with Fleetwood Mac's Stevie Nicks. He was honored to be a part of a select artist list who sang on one of the most famous singles ever recorded, the famine relief fundraising single, We Are the World, USA for Africa, produced by Quincy Jones. He has collaborated with many renowned singers and musicians throughout his career, such as Bill Champlin, Donna Summer, Graham Nash, Winona Judd, George Duke, Quincy Jones, Pages, Jim Brickman, Russ Freeman, and many more. With over 28 albums to his credit, Kenny has remained active by touring and writing. He recently released his new album entitled How About Now, offering 12 new original songs plus a new version of the Loggins and Messina classic, A Love Song. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Kenny Loggins. Hey, Kenny, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Hey, thanks a lot. Hey, Kenny, I want to start out with... Um uh, recently, we interviewed Chris Rodriguez, who uh, actually that was the the end of last year, and and uh, of course for our audience, he he played with uh, he plays with your band. Uh, he's been with you for quite a few years, playing guitar and vocals. And during the course of our, our comments with him or his comments, uh, he just had some very good things to say and uh, about working with you. And he made one comment, uh, and he described you as a singer singer. And in the same breath, he sort of uh, compared you with you know his voice is so good, it's almost like an Aretha Franklin and, and Al Green. And, you know, me and Rick totally uh, agreed with that because, you know, over the years, you've, your voice has stayed strong and, and you're, you're, still, you're still very, very busy even touring. But, yeah. my, but my question is this, you know, at the very beginning of the career, how did you f- first discover y- your voice talent? Is this something that you said, hey, I can sing? Or did someone, your parents or someone say, you know, give this guy a mic. I think there's some talent here. <laughs> How did that happen? How did you even I get into this? they were trying this? to push me off the mic. <laughs> really? Get away from the mic. How did it happen? Um, I had a, a, a high school principal mm-hmm. who recognized my voice. Really? Uh, and always put me up front when, when we would do, do um, you know, any class singing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he kept encouraging me to be in the front. And then, uh, and then when I started forming bands... Um, I discovered that uh, that I could do it, you know, that I could sing and, and be a front man, and I just, it just was second nature to me, yeah. and really enjoyed that as part of my life. So um, one thing's led to another, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that it still works. 
Mm-hmm. You've been using that your voice, you know, your instrument professionally for for close to the forty years, and you know, I, you sound just as solid now as you did then. And I yeah. I noticed that you have a, a string of upcoming concerts that have you singing in some cases, you know, several nights in a row. And you know, how difficult is it now to sing night after night? And and what do you do to take care of your voice? Right. Well, you know, the weird thing is, my my voice gets stronger night after night. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, I know it's been um, a pleasant surprise. For me, I mean, I had two five-night runs, and by the fifth night of both runs, my voice was stronger than the first night. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess the only thing that that I do that um, helps, you know, keep it that way is that I don't don't eat dairy at all Uh when I'm I'm working. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I knew, uh, I learned early on that I would lose my voice if I I had cheese or milk. Really? What contributes to that? Well, I think it's just, it's just a... I met an op- a, a, a doctor in New York that worked with the New York Opera, uh-huh. and um, he said the first thing he would try to get them off of was dairy, and the second thing was alcohol. Wow. Interesting. Um, I don't do a good job of staying off the alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> but you know I'm, I'm also not a drunk. I just yeah. uh, you know, like to have a shot of tequila before I go out there. Sure, sure. And. Uh, um, but I avoid the dairy, and it also helps me keep the weight off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I can keep it a fighting weight, and I train. You know, I work with weights. I run. That probably helps too. Yeah. Now you know, having been in, involved in, in uh, the music industry for you know several decades, you, you've obviously witnessed you know vast changes in all aspects of the, mm-hmm. of the music business. And what are your thoughts about the current state of the business in general? You know, do you feel as though you know, a veteran artist like yourself has the support and publicity needed, you know, to be successful in today's recording industry? Or right. are the labels and the people in the business simply looking for, for new blood and tossing, you know, these veteran artists aside? Well, um, from my perspective, you know, I was dropped from Columbia Records. My last record that I'd made before they dropped me sold a million units. Hmm. Wow. Um, and it was basically explained to me in a, in a <clears throat> rather briefly that that just wasn't good enough anymore. Wow. Um, and so the business I'm in, the business I'm in as a singer-songwriter is different than the business they're in. Exactly. They um, make their living off of, you know, multiple millions in sales because their expenses are so high. They have to. So they're looking for the next Gwen Stefani or whatever, you know, that can can bust loose and do 10 million units. That's not going to happen with most legacy artists. I mean, I can't think of one that has done anything near that in a long, long time. Right. Um, but on a good record, I could do a million units. Mm-hmm. And so that's what brings in the retailers, yeah. the, the best buys, the targets that can uh, work with minimal uh, mm-hmm. costs right. because they are the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because of that, they can afford to sign a legacy artist. And a million units makes a lot of money for them. Sure. Yeah, and plus they already have their distribution set up and in place. And and I've noticed uh, Starbucks is really getting into that as well. Oh, yeah. Well, with the advent of the McCartney, and now I think, who was it, Joni Mitchell? Uh Yeah, Joni Mitchell. You know, because their expenses are so low Mm -hmm. and because they work out different royalty scales, different, you know, uh, ownership of the masters, a lot of of ways for them to not have – 
such high expenses to give give an artist a, a sweeter deal. Now, on the, on the contrary, though, when when you're talking about you know you're talking about that here in the states, but when you're talking about Europe and Japan and other other parts of the world. Are you with a separate label when you are a separate distribution uh, outlet for those countries? Well, in my case, no. I'm, I'm, I'm with 180 Worldwide, and 180 is the company that Target turned to to, to bring them the record and to okay. make sure that it was a whole I see. complete package. I see. I haven't, we haven't yet released it internationally, so I don't know how good they are, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping that, uh, that they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We have a, actually about 60% of our listeners are from uh, outside of the United States. So any, any idea when uh, your album might be released in, in other parts of the world? I wish I knew. You know, it would have been good timing to have that for you, but I don't, <laughs> I don't have that. Well, we'll keep them updated. Yeah. <laughs> well, definitely the, the music industry is, is changing on the marketing and distribution side of everything because digital age and whatever, we all know that. But also technologically. Let me talk about that just a little bit. I mean, um, more and more recording studios take the shape of a garage, basement, or, or bedroom. Now, when it comes to your style of creating songs, have you embraced digital technology and, uh, you know, does it assist you in developing songs? And Yeah, I very much have. I've, yeah. I've, I've embraced the technology of recording studios nowadays, um, it really finally speeds the process mm-hmm. and as opposed to slowing it down. Mm-hmm. And um, I, like, I like working in Pro Tools. I like the, the freedom I have to, you know, you can make edits, you can lengthen a tune or, or shorten a tune in a matter of minutes. Um, I work with uh, the, the voice-altering technologies to... If I have a a, um, a live vocal mm-hmm. that I do with a guitar player, let's say, and and I and, and it really captures the emotion of the tune, and the only problem is it's got two or three flat notes here and there. Yeah. Rather than punch those flat notes in mm-hmm. and and Frankenstein the track, I can keep the track intact using the Auto Tune you know, Tools technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the emotion flows top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I like the ability to take a guitar part and. Let's say it worked really well in the second verse. I can clone it and move it, and you know, just it's just really cool technology for building records. Right. Rick is an engineer, and your interview right now is going through Pro Tools right now, so we understand (laughs) (laughs) exactly where where you're at. I mean, it it is it's a new era, and I, you know, we've asked this question to so many artists before, Kenny, and and but but your your answer has been a little different. That you've addressed the speediness of getting a product to market, you know, and that's a very good point. Yeah, I think it facilitates the creative process. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have an idea, you can manifest that idea re- really quickly, mm-hmm. and you're not bogged down in in, in the machinations of, of trying to force that. And I mean, I was around when we were cutting, you know, using a razor blade to cut into analog tape <laughs> to, to, to move a vocal forward. Mm-hmm. We'd actually have to physically right. cut that track and move it. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's just a matter of punching a few keystroke commands. Yeah. Um, on and our, the negative uh, to that, just to give the, the other side of the coin, the negative mm-hmm. to that is that you can take a, someone who's just a pretty face and turn them into an artist by manipulating every aspect of their yeah, that creative process into making people think that they're an artist when, when in actuality they're... 
That doesn't happen. Never. No. Never. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in, you know, back in the, in the 80s, you know, you had an incredible successful run within the writing, performing, producing soundtracks and, and so forth. It was an amazing success. And, you know, out of, outside of that amazing success and popularity of the songs that you created for movies and, and your tracks, how, let me ask you a question. How, from, from the heart, you know, how fulfilling back then at, at the height of all this activity, describe the fulfillment that you got out of the songs back then as to, opposed to other work that you're doing right now. That was a period of time that really kept me going when yeah. a lot of artists were disappearing because uh, the disco period came in and, oh, yeah. and took radio by storm. And it was really difficult to, uh, to stay on the, on the screen. Know, to keep people knowing that you existed, yeah. And it was a creative period for me because I got to to you know play around in a medium I'd never been involved in before. To to write for films in all the different ways. You know, with Footloose I wrote to a screenplay. Mm -hmm. With Caddyshack I wrote to a rough cut of, of the actual movie. Mm -hmm. um, and the advantage uh, we had back then that they're they're not doing very much now was that we would actually write the music and tailor it to that scene. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, they pretty much lift a track off of somebody's record and right. drop it in. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we could really marry the music with the scene, and, and then both would be stronger for it. Sure, yeah, more effective, yeah. Uh, and so it was a really creative time for me on that, on that level. Well, I'm going to jump a few years out of the 80s and in, into the early 90s. And the first time, you know, I had the pleasure of hearing the Leap of Faith album. You know, I was I was completely and pleasantly, you know, caught off guard by its its overall direction. And, you know, the record was released just three short years after, you know, the more pop-oriented Back to Avalon. And it was, it was evident that this record in itself was, you know, a leap of faith, you know, from, from musically, <laughs> lyrically, and even, you know, somewhat in a spiritual aspect. And, and from my point of view, you know, you sort of set yourself free with this record. And, you know, I sensed that you, were, you weren't looking to score a radio hit. And the songs were, you know, weren't exactly for the casual Kenny Loggins fan. They were essentially, for you, in almost an autobiographical sense, you know, for that right. period in your life. And Leap of Faith marked a turning point, not only in your career, but in your life. And is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that, that record uh, was, was another milestone uh, for me in that... Uh, I, I shifted into an, another way of, of thinking and mm -hmm. being, and, uh, and it, it really chronicled it, 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 a, a very important time in my life and, and an opportunity as an artist to write about something that uh, doesn't come along very often. Mm -hmm. uh, to have a transformational moment in your life and then get to chronicle it as a writer mm -hmm. um, at the same time. So it was real present tense for me that the passage that I was going through, just as How About Now chronicles sort of the mirror image of Leap of Faith, mm -hmm. whereas Leap of Faith was the, was the sort of beginning, the falling in love time, the, the um, uh, starting one's life over. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, how About Now is, is sort of the other side of that. It's like, well, um, loss, separation, uh, Rebuilding, who am I now? Where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. um, the rebirth of, of hope itself in um, in a life when when everything falls apart. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, it also chronicles a specific moment that most human beings have to uh, experience. Mm -hmm. There's a song on the new record called "If You've Never Been There" 
which talks about um, building empathy, that until you have had certain experiences, right. you, can't, you can't be authentically empathetic. Mm-hmm. And um, once you've had this experience, you, you join a greater family mm-hmm. of, of people that understand each other. You can see it in each other's eyes. So as a writer, my job is just to chronicle the passages that, that we all go through sooner or later mm-hmm. and, and to try to do my best to bring something fresh or some new insight into the process. Well, staying with uh, that Leap of Faith album, the, you know, the song, Too Early for the Sun, you know, that, the, <laughs> that song is uh, the, the song that my wife and I actually chose for our, our first dance at our wedding. And, and uh, uh-huh. I, you know, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but I, I read a long time ago that you never performed that song in concert. Is that true? I did actually perform it maybe three times. Uh-huh. I worked it up with the band, and um, we had just just finished working it up uh-huh. when, um, and it, we weren't quite solid on it when I got a request from one of the audience members to uh, perform it. So we did it sort of spontaneously one night. <laughs> By request, huh? <laughs> By request. Wow. <laughs> and, and it was like magic. Yeah. Well, I think that song is, is, is magical. And I think my, my wife is a huge fan of yours. And, and uh, there was no way, I mean, there was no way that song wasn't going to be our first, you know, <laughs> song, <laughs> song at our wedding. You know, she, she has, I'm sure you get that a lot because you have so many wonderful songs that, you know, would be perfect for that, that scenario. But, yeah, well, that, actually, surprisingly, a lot of people get married to the song Forever. Really? Which, That's true. Yeah. yeah. Which to me is a song saying goodbye. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they, 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 all they hear is the title and they think, oh, yeah, well, I want to promise forever. Which anyone who's been through anything knows you can't. You don't get to promise forever. Exactly. exactly. And, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, Too Early for the Sun is, is a song about. Um, trepidation mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. to me it's it's saying um that that battle between the mind and the heart mm-hmm. where the mind is saying i'm not ready mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know if i can do this right and the heart's going well you're gonna yeah, <laughs> you're in the tux already. You're already there. Buddy. But you know what? Yeah, if you think about it, that is a, that is a perfect wedding song. <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if you're getting married and you're infusing some honesty into that's the right. Yeah, most people don't want honesty at a wedding. <laughs> Let's just get it over with. Yeah. Hey, listen, I've got a question from actually one of our listeners who uh, basically uh, emailed on to Inside Music Cast, and her name is Emma, and she's got a question, and it's like this. Uh, um, she asks, uh, when you've performed live over, over the years, you've been very, very generous in sharing the limelight. And she quotes that. Not all artists are comfortable sharing the spotlight. Uh, uh, but even in the earliest videos, um, the other musicians always have had their place to shine. What helped you to become so generous in supporting the showcasing and showcasing the band, uh, you know, in their talents and so forth? So I think it's one about uh, sharing the limelight. Good question. Well, I I grew up in bands. You mm-hmm. know, my my the beginning of my career, even in the college days, I was always in a band. And to me, it was more effective to have players step forward mm-hmm. and have a moment. It keeps it interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I just haven't been made that way where I think I have to be the, the number one guy in front all the time. It's, it's just not, um, 
it's not in my nature. I, I want players to step forward. I want people to go, well, I went to see Kenny Loggins, and, you know, he was great, but, wow, that guitar player just blew my mind. It's yeah. like, that's more for the money. Yeah. You know, it's added value. Right. I think uh, one one uh, incredible highlight that that comes to memory is a leap of faith when Chris Rodriguez is is doing his uh, guitar solo and you just let him go and you just support him and I tell you it just it just uh, adds so much dynamic nature to the to the whole performance. I think that's outstanding. You know, are you talking about the Redwoods show? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Redwoods, I had like thirty people in my band for that. Oh yeah, yeah. the and idea was to do an unplugged show and then. In order to recreate the sounds that synthesizers w were doing, yeah. I would have to bring in real instruments. So I brought in, you know, vibes players. I had a dozen drummers. I had, you know, um, two keyboard guys. I, it was on and on and on. Yeah. Ed Mann was playing the vibes. That's right. Um, Freddie Washington, was he on bass? Mm -hmm. yeah. Howard Levy was back there, yeah. Howard Levy. Howard Levy, my who, God. Who was doing the, the keyboards on, on that session, do you? I think that was Steve George. Really? That was, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. And Ed Mann. Yeah. I saw you perform uh, a show probably, you know, I think it was on the Leap of Faith tour, and, and Howard was with you, and... Uh, I always liked your introduction. He was the man with two tongues. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable stuff he could do. He's amazing. With plain old blues harp. Yeah. Well, speaking of great talent, you know, many of our guests on Inside Music Cast are, you know, a lot of them are amazing studio musicians who have performed, you know, primarily in support of main acts. Mm -hmm. And outside of being a headlining artist, you know, you've had your share of, of studio sessions for other artists over the years and primarily lending your vocals to various projects. And what, what have you, uh, you know, what have been some of the more enjoyable sessions that you can recall as a, as a supporting musician? Um, well, the um, Love Will Never Die, one of the Winin', Marvin, I think. Marvin, yeah. Yeah, and, and I came in and did a thing with him. What a talented family. It's really fun to do, and, and holds up. Yeah. Richard Page, I've worked with him. Mm -hmm. um, of course, Mike McDonald. Oh, yeah. That has to stand out. You know, singing on the on Doobie Brothers record is pretty cool. Right. Oh, yeah. I want to pull one out that uh, that is so impactful. I mean, she was the other days. I I actually brought up the clip and showed it my my daughters, and it just brought a tear to my eye to to see it again. But it was, of course, uh, um, the "We Are the World" track with Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, and when you guys got together, that oh, right. amazing session, wasn't it? It completely blanked on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. That, that uh, we just played, it and it just is relevant. Uh, just a wonderful piece of music and. Uh, Tell us a little bit about being in that session and seeing the choreography of people jumping into the mic. I'm sure people will remember that. Yeah, no, that that was, well, it was all orchestrated by uh, Quincy. Yeah. And um, the first thing was that we all stood together as a choir uh -huh. of, I don't know, 30 of us. And, um, uh, you know, I'd never uh, been in a room with, with uh, all those people at one time, except maybe at the Grammys where you don't, you don't know who's in the room. Right, right, right. Um, but there was a real sense of family, and especially because it was, we were all focused on trying to do something important to feed the hungry. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, because there was a lofty goal involved, we we did have that sense of being united and being part of a, a, a greater movement. Um, and then, you know, um, just the, the trip of it, of, of seeing Dylan and, and uh, Lionel Richie and... You know, Michael Jackson and, you know, um, all these huge names, Paul Simon, mm -hmm. all in one room at one time. That had to we be knew, amazing. We knew we were part of something um, something pretty big. Yeah, yeah. 
it was just a, uh, an honor to be uh, uh, connected to that. Yeah. Um, Greg Fillingaines, who I, I chatted with him uh, a, a while ago, uh, who was involved in the session also, he, he mentioned that there was a sign posted, and maybe you can confirm this, I don't know, but this is his perspective. He said there was a, a sign posted outside the studio door as, as, the, as these huge musicians, as yourself, come in through the door, and it said, leave your ego outside. Can you can you confirm that? But but Greg told me that I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's, that's a well known story. Yeah. Uh, Paul Simon said, uh, "If a bomb drops on this room right now, uh, John Denver will be back on top." <laughs> <laughs> that's not as well known. That's not as well known. <laughs> I didn't hear that one. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Well, we just—I know—we just have a few minutes here, and I, I just wanted to jump into uh, your new album here quickly. And, and yeah. uh, you know, it's obvious that "How About Now" is is reminiscent of the songs that were written in, in the Loggins and Messina era, mm-hmm. with you know, sort of an acoustic guitar taking more of a prominent role in these new songs. And I really enjoyed, you know, your new spin on a love song. And why did you decide to revisit this song and, and re-record it and put it on the new record? Yeah. Well, I, I sort of rediscovered the tune when uh, Jimmy and I did a Loggins and Messina reunion tour two right. years ago. Mm-hmm. And part of the acoustic part of that show would be to do love song together. And and I realized that I had a, a diamond in the rough, that we'd never really developed that tune yeah. the way it, it could have been done. And uh, I wanted to revisit it and give it a shot and see where it would go. And it was sort of the... Oh, it became a, a touchstone for the, the creation of the How About Now CD. You know, the idea being if Loggins and Messina were still together, what kind of record would I make? And, and so I knew that I had to write the material on, back on the acoustic guitar again. It doesn't mean that it's a, it's a mellow record necessarily, but it means that the acoustic guitar served as the primary writing tool. And, you know, because there are some pretty good rockers on this album, How About Now, and I'm a Free Man Now, and songs like that that, that kick ass pretty good. But, um, but still, you can tell that they were written uh, on guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason I bring that up is because I, uh, when I left Loggins and Messina, I started writing with keyboard people mm-hmm. and David Foster and, uh, you know, people who were great players, great filling games, you mentioned. Um, and, um, and that took me into writing in a whole other kind of style. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Celebrate Me Home, the song itself, is dramatically different from anything I would have done with Loggins and Messina. Mm-hmm. So when, when I went out on the road with Jimmy and I started playing these really simple tunes with four chords in them, I thought, well, this is worth a try to, to, to get back into that Loggins and Messina headspace and write stuff that's a, a little more um, lower chakra. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Right, right. Down closer to the earth. Mm-hmm. Let's see what, what happens. You know, it goes without saying that, you know, you give much of your time energy and celebrity to assist, you know, with, with various charities and environmental programs. And, you know, uh, one such uh, is, is one called the Unity Shop. Can you tell us a little more about uh, Unity Shop and, and how you got involved? Oh, this goes back about 15 years when I first uh, was uh, doing stuff around Santa Barbara. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, idea of there was this organization called the Council of Christmas Cheer, and it was already in place. And the idea was that they would try to serve the needy at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in that uh, you had uh, food and books and clothing, toys for children. They covered it all, and the way they did it was that wh- whoever would be referred to them by a local uh, organization, let's say a church or a synagogue, um, 
that person could come in and get exactly what they need for their family. And so they wouldn't be given just haphazardly whatever the, the giving organization might think that mm-hmm. people need. Mm-hmm. These, these people would come in and get exactly what they need. If they had a 13-year-old girl, they'd get clothing for that girl, they'd mm-hmm. get books. If they had a 5-year-old, they'd get the toys mm-hmm. that that child would actually want and not just something we felt like giving them. And so the, the uh, responsibility, the power moved back to the, to the mother or father. Mm-hmm. And um, I liked the organization a lot, and I wanted to help. And we started a telethon here in town, and, and we brought in all the primary um, help organizations. Uh, we, at that time, we had Toys for Tots and Salvation Army and, and um, Catholic Charities and on and on. We had about... 25 different charity organizations all working together Mm -hmm. so that we wouldn't duplicate each other's efforts Mm -hmm. and we could serve more people in a in a saner fashion and uh, and that has developed into the organization you mentioned unity Uh Uh, originally it was christmas unity and then it became just unity Um, and we raised about a million dollars a year that's fantastic try to feed and clothe people in our own backyard. Right. Are you still on the board of directors for this uh, organization? Not, not at this time. No, oh, okay. I went for a few years, and now I, now I just sort of step in and help during the telethon time. That's cool. That's great. That's great. Well, listen. Uh, a couple months ago, um, we had the nice pleasure of interviewing your son Crosby, who's, who, uh, as uh, our audience probably knows, because of the interview, um, his uh, his foray into the the, the musical world with uh, the launch of his. Um, a release of his new album that's coming up. I'd, I would say that you're rather pleased uh, with uh, with his new record. He's he's doing a great job. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm totally jazzed. I, I I love what he's doing. I think he's a terrific songwriter, and he's becoming a really strong performer. He's mm-hmm. going to be opening for me on a few of my shows as I go through the country this August. Right. I would ask your your listeners to watch for that. Definitely. Yeah. His, his album is called We All Go Home. Mm-hmm. And it should be out in a couple of weeks. That's, That's great. That's wonderful. We we did have the uh, ask. You know, we did ask him several questions. And but one of the questions that we asked him is, you know, uh, after he found himself in music, we sort of uh, thought, well, let's ask him this question: If there was anything else in music that he would be be doing other than music, what would it be? And uh, I want to ask you that same question. After all these years and everything, would uh, would you do this all over again, or would you? Is there something else that are, uh, you know the those close to you might not know that you might have uh, wanted to do something else in your career? The only other thing that I was ever tempted to do was carpentry. Oh yeah, I loved working with wood. Yeah, and um, I think Crosby answered the same way. Yeah, really? Yeah, I think he answered. <laughs> he answered similarly. I think he also said he wanted to be an astronomer. <laughs> <laughs> it's into astrology, but um, but yeah, that's interesting. Do you do you work wood presently right now or not? Not that much. Well, you know, I'm I'm just real busy uh, yeah. with what I'm doing. I'm mm-hmm. on the road. I'm when I'm home. I'm with the kids. It's there's not a lot of time to. No, there isn't. Do there? anything else? I'll put <laughs> yeah. around the house a little bit if I can. <laughs> hey, well, listen, Kenny. Um, yeah, know, we really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us. I, I think uh, I think we had a, a great time to, to chat here. And, and like Kenny said, uh, I think everybody should be looking out for Crosby's new album that's coming out and also Kenny's. Uh, go to Amazon.com and, and purchase the, the album, I think, or you can even go to KennyLoggins.com, correct? Well, for how about now, for my new record, yes. um, I would encourage people to go to my website, KennyLoggins.com, or right. go to a Target store. That's right, at Target. And selling well enough that, that they're not in the stores quick enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
know. So um, I would say go to KennyLoggins.com. Great. Well, congratulations on your new album. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your time, Kenny. Bye. Special thanks to Kenny Loggins for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Our goal is to bring you a new podcast once every other week. So be sure to check your podcast downloads for the next episode of Inside Music Cast. If you have a question or a suggestion for the show, please drop us an email at input at insidemusiccast.com. That's input at insidemusiccast.com with one C. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Stay subscribed to Inside Music Cast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com. 